Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness, where we will be sharing insights into the world of mental health and wellness as we explore traditional medicine and holistic healing options. It's time to have new conversations about mental health. Join Mara James, the founder and CEO of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, as she guides us along this journey. And now, let's talk wellness. Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mara James, and I want to say thank you for joining us for today's conversation. During Let's Talk Wellness, we focus on healing, understanding, growth, and spirituality. This is part of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a subsidiary of the nonprofit organization called Extraordinary Lives Foundation, where we are devoted to supporting mental health awareness and providing resources for children and their families. As the founder of these organizations, I have the great joy of collaborating with an amazing team of people to help bring healing to children and families around the world. You can find out our show information at elfempowers.org. Now, let's talk wellness with today's guest, Raisa Sa. Raisa is an early childhood mental health consultant and educator. Welcome, Raisa. Hi, Mara. <laughs> it's so great to see you. We've been working together every week on Zoom on our Children's Mental Health Awareness Week program. And today I have the honor of interviewing you. So thank you for being here. Yeah, no problem. So let's start out. Um, you, went, you know, I understand that you have a master's in psychology, criminology, and applied behavior analysis, otherwise known as ABA. Did I leave yeah. anything out? Uh, that's for the most part correct. I have also a certificate in infant and early childhood mental health. Oh, wow. Beautiful. Um, and you are also a mother of how many children? I am a mother of two children, uh, one that is 10 and one that is nine. Wow. So it'd be interesting to find out if you're able to put your, uh, what you teach into place at home. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I try my best. Right. Um, can you share with us why you got into this area of work? Um, well, I've always been in the field of early childhood. I've spent about a good 20 years uh, working with ages zero to five, um, started as a, a preschool teacher, um, but always worked kind of in conjunction. As you heard, my, my studies are in um, psychology and criminology. Um, when I was working with my master's um, and working in the juvenile justice system, working very closely with families um, and with individuals at Juvenile Hall here in Orange, and just finding that really to make an impact and to make uh, my efforts a little bit more impactful, I really needed to focus on those children and families in the early years. Um, when I found with my teenagers, there was so much going on in their lives. And if we had intervened or given more support to those families and those children at an early age, um, we would make a world of a difference. So I really just focused in on preschool age, zero to five, um, because I, I thought that that is where all of the great work could be done and where I would have the most um, impact in a child and family's life. And I love that you're speaking my language. I love that upstream approach. So to share with our friends watching and listening, 
we hear criminology, we think, you know, that's heavy duty. And now we're going to zero to five year olds. And I, under, you know, we understand that, but can you explain that link um, mm-hmm. and how powerful it can be helping them at that zero to five to help down further down the road? Yeah, I I think everyone kind of in this field, in the field of early childhood and mental health, has heard that term prison, uh, preschool to prison pipeline. So that basically is about how this trajectory is set off in a negative trajectory, starting at early ages. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but one of the things that I found that was kind of really shocking to me when I started learning about challenging behaviors and mental health in young children is that when your child is in preschool, so preschool age is, which is three to five years old, um, they're three times as likely to be kicked out and expelled from a program. So really little children starting to be expelled and just imagine how, I mean, how much that has an impact on a young child knowing that school is maybe not a safe place for me or school. I'm not welcome at school. And even if you go back way back to two years old, um, I was just having a a presentation this morning, but there we were talking about how even at two year old, that number is, is way higher than that three times amount. I, I think it might be even double. I don't know the exact statistic, but imagine two year olds being expelled, suspended, for maybe behaviors that might be developmentally appropriate, like biting, but nevertheless, starting that trajectory of being expelled from programs, not feeling welcome, and and that impact that it has on that child and their family. Definitely. Um, And with our son, our middle one, who was diagnosed with Asperger's and ADHD between five and six six years old, um, when they, we he was kicked out of school in kindergarten in New York, and we were horrified. And also, we didn't understand his behavior. That was a little scary, too. But then we were told by a professional that we need to make sure that the school doesn't kick him out, that they accept him back, and that they're responsible to make sure that he's safe. So they have something. I don't know if they have it out here, but in New York, we had to see it, which was some, like an aide in the class that would, over, would help him. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that they have out in California? Are you familiar with that? Well, they, they, um, one of the programs that I work with at Start was, is we provide consultation to preschool um, programs, family child care homes. So areas or uh, places where children are, are at risk of being expelled. So what's really important at this age group is focusing on the adults who are supporting the children. So it's often hard if I came in to come support a child in a preschool program, because one of the most important things for a child is to have a good relationship with that adult. And I come in as an outsider. So who has the best relationship with that child where they're at, whether it's the the family child care home provider, the teacher. So my work and my everyday work is working with those adults, whether it's the teacher, family childcare provider, parent, and making sure that they have the tools to be able to support the child. So they have someone to turn to problem solve and help them plan to how, how do we address the behaviors and learn what the child is trying to communicate with those behaviors. Wow. And you mentioned start well. Can you share with us what that is and what you do yeah. there? 
Yeah, so Startwell is a program um, that was born, I think, 2017, and I've, I've started working with them since about 2018. Um, and again, it is a program um, that focuses on infant and early childhood mental health consultation. So what we do here in Orange County as a free service to all care providers who provide um, early care and education, meaning preschools, you can be center-based, you can be a faith-based program, you could be a small family child care home. Um, they work directly with, um, or we work <laughs> directly with <laughs> those adults um, and provide consultations. So typically what we do is we get called in when there's a child at risk of being expelled or parents or the teacher is asking for some support. How do I help this child in my program? So we typically get called in, um, maybe do a, a behavior support plan, maybe focus on resources for um, the family or training support for the teacher. So ultimately it is helping those adults to be able to know that they can be confident and competent to support this child within their program. Wow, I think every school program uh, needs you. <laughs> and you said that this is something that Startwell is offered for free? Yeah, it's a free service. Um, we're, wow. we're funded through Orange County Healthcare Agency and Chalk Children's. So I always encourage uh, programs, I mean, we're a free program, <laughs> take advantages of what resources and services that there are for you. And we're just happy to help. We yeah. want to make sure that we um, that we are able to break that that what is it called? I'm lost for words to kind of to to set up that child for success. Right. Wow, that is amazing, and I hope that all the programs, all the schools out there, are familiar with you because that's so key. And you said something before, I didn't catch it. Um, I don't remember it. I did catch it, but um, preschool, what was the bridging that like to prison or something? Oh, preschool to prison pipeline. Right. So what, tell us about that. I haven't heard yeah. about that before, but it's so that that's basically, you know, it, it starts really young where we can provide that support. So what typically happens is if um, like things like challenging behavior, are not addressed, they can turn into bigger problems and bigger issues. And what that that kind of leads down that path of a child be starting to be expelled from not only preschool, but imagine if these challenging behaviors continue through their school age years, through their high school years, without getting the support from the community, the adults around them, it leads to that trajectory of maybe they might end up in that path or where those those children I were working with and in my grad school years um, down to juvenile hall and those recidivism and uh, just making those bad life decisions and, and going down that bad path uh, through life. Right. So what do you recommend for parents and teachers that they could notice? Like what's considered normal versus um, a behavioral challenge? Like what no. um, we everyone be on the lookout for? Yeah, and I, I guess that that depends again what is developmentally appropriate for the age. So, like I said, there's two year olds probably getting kicked out of preschool programs because of things like biting. Biting is pretty typical, um, and a lot of times it's it's giving the expectation that yes, 
Some of these things are typical, um, but here's the tools to be able to support them because some of those behaviors, I wouldn't say some, all of those behaviors are communicating something. That child, that two-year-old is probably biting because he or she is just learning the skills to communicate their needs and probably biting to get their needs met at that moment, whether it is that they are trying to connect with that adult or other child, whether it is they want something and they're really frustrated and not able to tell you, there is something being communicated at that moment. Wow. Wow. So, right, I would think if a child doesn't have the words to communicate, biting is a quick way, not the most healthy, but definitely a quick way to do it. And then, so do you work with parents and teachers then to teach the child alternative um, ways to communicate? Yeah, and I think that is what you said is key. It's really about teaching the skills that we want to see them do, giving them ways that they can communicate their needs in more effective ways, whether it's I'm tantruming because I'm really upset. That child is telling me that they need some good coping skills. They might need the supportive adult to teach them how to take deep breaths or even identify that they are feeling frustrated. And this is the reason why they're frustrated. So it's a a lot of support from those adults around them and how to teach and coach those, those skills in the children. Right. So can you share with us, we have, we have a two-year-old here that's, you know, having a tantrum or biting. What do you actually teach the teacher or the parent to do with the child? Well, first of all, identify what do you think that child is trying to communicate in that moment? So is it that they're getting frustrated with something? Is it that they want something and are not able to tell you? Is it that they're trying to connect or get uh, get your attention because they need something? So really what I tell parents is to be a detective in that moment. I- Look at what are the reasons behind this. Um, and start looking at when is that this happening more frequently? Is it because maybe they're you're busy at work typing away and and they're wanting something or they're wanting your attention or help or they're getting really frustrated with something? Let's be a detective instead of jumping in conclusions that this is like a bad behavior. Let's look at okay, what is my child capable of doing and why? <laughs> Right. Where were you and my kids were younger? Um, I know. I was going to say. so amazing. So what you're talking about, like teaching the children, like let's say breathing techniques. But for me, it's like for the parent, right? Instead of reacting out and getting really upset or frustrated and, you know, angry, hungry and angry. um, What's the way that we could be, you know, more present in the moment, you know, instead of being reactive, kind of taking our own deep breath and really analyzing it, right? So that's really... It's a big step for parents as well as for children. Yeah, 100%. Because things like crying, biting are really frustrating for the parent, right? So I always tell a parent, if you can take a moment, and you, you mentioned being reactive, I try to teach them, let's be responsive instead mm-hmm. of reactive. Love that. So be able to do that. Take a moment. Before you say anything, I I always encourage parents to practice a pause whenever they feel like they're going to kind of go into that, uh, the flight, fight, flight, and go into spiraling out of control. Yeah. To take a moment, pause. And in that moment, if you can take a deep breath, 
if you can pivot your body language so that you are not like right on your child and wanting to scream and wanting to yell, even taking a short time to stop, pause and pivot, um, that will help you to regroup yourself, take a deep breath and know that it's parenting is so challenging. It's the challenge, most challenging job that you'll ever have. So most rewarding, really, but definitely the most challenging. It is. And realizing that you're not alone, that these are everyday things that a lot of uh, families will go through and getting frustrated with behaviors and learning that these things are, your child is still learning, really learning about the expectations and knowing what is developmentally typical for your child is always helpful just to have in the back of your head, like, oh, they've only been alive for 24 months. Take a deep breath. They're only two. Whereas you as an adult have much more experience. So you have to look at it, that perspective. My child is still learning. Right. And the parents are still learning, right? We weren't born knowing how to parent. Um, Yeah, that is definitely um, interesting. So we spoke um, the other day about building what resilience is and how do we increase it. So if you could share with um, our friends about what is resilience. Yeah. So when I when I think about resilience um, and building up your child's resilience, I think about how, how can I support them so that they can feel like they can bounce back no matter what is challenging, whatever's frustrating. How can I give them the ability to feel like I'll be okay. I can bounce back from this. And I was really looking at, okay, what key strategies can I kind of pinpoint when we were talking about building resilience? And it all came back to the relationship piece between you, your child, and the caregiver child. Really important to have your child feel that love, safety, security within their environment to know that even though things make it frustrating for me. I have my family, I have a support system, I have an adult. So building positive relationships with your child. And what that looks like is taking time, (laughs) spending some time with your children. And I always tell parents, this is this is so hard, because we live in a a life that's so fast paced. But I always remind them it is quality versus the quantity. Mm-hmm. Even if it's like five minutes a day, take some time, play with your child, uh, learn what they're interested in, because that's what helps build that relationship, re- relationship, trust and security with your child. And that's one of the big important pieces. And there's so many things that in that one-on-one with your child that boosts their con- confidence and helps them feel that they are in a safe, secure relationship with you. Wow. So, and if someone has five children, you're saying one-on-one time with each of them separately? Yes. I would recommend, even if it's just five minutes, where you get quality over quantity. Mm-hmm. And uh, that might be challenging, but if, if five minutes of the day, how many times are you like just scrolling over your phone for five minutes? It, right. it, you could spend that time maybe just sitting down, being interested in what they're drawing, making a right. comment on the positive things that they're doing in that moment. So taking your child out for ice cream or going shopping, is that considered, can that be quality time? I, again, those are times that are really great, that one-on-one time, but really your child just wants your attention. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be things like, let's go to Disneyland. Right. It can be 
simple things like let's build a tower together. Let's draw a picture together. Let's not overcomplicate things because I know all of those things are great and we want to give our children the world. But imagine like going to Disneyland, like that is a lot of that quality sometimes goes away because that is like a place that's overstimulating. We are we are getting upset. Everyone's having a meltdown. And what happens in that moment? It's no longer fun. It doesn't help build the relationship. Right. It actually breaks it down. Yeah. (laughs) That is amazing. We're going to take a brief break and we're going to come back and discuss more about resilience. So hold on one moment. In these shifting and changing times, more and more lives are being impacted by mental health. The Extraordinary Lives Foundation, also known as ELF, is transforming the way people view and navigate mental health challenges. Their mission is to improve children's mental health and wellness and support families by providing educational tools, resources, and awareness events. ELF encourages families to recognize symptoms, overcome the stigma, and reach out for help. Through prevention, early intervention, and holistic treatment, we believe many of the big problems facing today's youth can be transformed within a generation. Extraordinary Lives Foundation is excited to offer the Hugs for Life Healing Center, growing a worldwide network of approved holistic healers and bridging the gap between traditional and complementary healing options. Visit the Extraordinary Lives Foundation website at www.elfempowers.org to find out more about their resources and events. Together, we can change the conversation around mental health. We hope that you're enjoying today's Let's Talk Wellness podcast. And if you have a topic that you would like us to explore, we would love to hear from you. Simply email us at info at elfempowers.org. That's info at elfempowers.org. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Let's Talk Wellness. I am your host, Mara James, and today we have Raisa Sa. Raisa is an early childhood mental health educator and consultant. Welcome back, Raisa. Hi, Mara. Mm-hmm. So let's continue discussing resilience. And how do we increase resiliency in children, in young children? Yeah. So we briefly talked about that relationship piece and how that that is key as well. Um, The other piece I wanted to kind of talk about was building up their social and emotional development or emotional intelligence is sometimes what people refer to. Um, And basically that is teaching them about their emotions and teaching them that all emotions are okay. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we recognize when we're feeling sad? How do we recognize when we're feeling upset, happy, and accepting the emotions that that come with everyone? Because really it's it's normal to feel all feelings. Um, If we can do that and teach them that it's okay to f- not feel okay. It's okay to feel okay. Um, and teaching them the, the skills that if I feel dysregulated, if I feel angry, if I feel upset, I have some tools and strategies that will help me cope. I can take deep breaths if, if, if I'm feeling really frustrated in the moment. I have adults to turn to if I need someone to talk to. 
I can share my emotions and it's okay to feel those emotions. Wow. So again, think about when I was a younger mom and um, I did not, I wasn't taught this in school. I had no idea about this. I know it's becoming more of a buzzword and thankfully a lot of schools are starting to have a social emotional learning curriculum. So, um, but for those schools that don't like, how do we help the parents um, learn about this? Because I know a lot of us have problems regulating ourselves, forget our children. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's that all that piece of let's focus on social and emotional learning first, because that's really the foundation of all learning. If I'm not able to feel comfortable where I'm at, if I'm not able to connect with the, the adults or children around me, then that's going to be hard for me to be in like a school setting. So really knowing that connecting with others and being able to regulate how I'm feeling, emotions, gets me ready to learn. And that's part of that key to success is I need to have those good foundation of social and emotional skills first before mm -hmm. I learn other things. Wow. Um, so many questions in my mind. Um, so do you recommend, are there YouTube channels or books or things like for parents? Are there classes that you would recommend to help parents help their children? Sure. I always tell parents use books because that's a great way to introduce emotions to children and, and problem solving. Um, you can talk about how people feel in the moment. You could talk them through a situation. Books will always have some kind of conflict mm -hmm. that you can be teaching your child that this, this is how they solve the problem. It doesn't have to be just a small problem. We can solve it together or they have the tools to solve the problem. It gives them that hope. I love that. And it's making me think what we're working on this Children's Mental Health Awareness Week, um, you know, which is in uh, first week in May, empowered by Piggy Bear. A really important tool, of course, is that, you know, sending home the notices for the parents. So as well as teaching the children, we're teaching the parents. Yeah. And um, it goes back to let's let's hear it everywhere. Like not only at school should we teach you about those social skills and emotional skills. We at home should be practicing them too, because your children is are learning from you. They're learning uh, how you are dealing and coping with your big feelings and emotions. Parent is always the first teacher and role model for their children. Right. You just made me think of something when a little child has a big emotion, right? Because sometimes these children are so empathic, they literally take on the energy and emotions of those bigger, larger people or older people around them. And they don't even, aren't even cognizant of what's going on or why they're feeling that way. 100%. And that's what we call co-regulation. Most children at this young age are co-regulating with the adults around you. So if you're finding you're feeling frustrated, Young children are meeting you where you're at, but if you're able to take that pause and cool yourself in the moment, they're feeding off of that energy too. So that's why mm -hmm. I encourage take a moment, pause, because one, you're modeling good coping skills for them and teaching you that you you can calm your body first before I respond versus react. Wow, so these little children are really kind of mirrors reflecting uh, back to parents um, the way they are. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. And what do you do? You know, so often there are, um, you know, par uh, 
a child may come from a um, home that is not stable, might have one out of two parents or zero for two parents if they're not emotionally available. What do you recommend we do with that? And, you know, I always love to look at the schools, but I don't want to put the onus, you know, on the teachers, on pediatricians, but how do we as, you know, society come together to help each and every child? Yeah. And what a big burden (laughs) to have that on, but it makes you, makes me think about, yes, there might be situations where a child might be experiencing maybe not having a, a good support system at home or a bad environment or a lot of toxic stress at home. But if that child has a trusted adult and that trusted adult can be um, a mentor, it could be, it can be a teacher, it can be a counselor, that that is what helps support children to be resilient if they have, again, goes back to that relationship. Do I have a relationship where I'm feeling secured, where I'm feeling loved, where I'm feeling um, like I have someone I can confide in? That is what children can lean on if they don't have that that support system. So oftentimes, if if you go back and think about what helped me be successful, even us, we go back and think about, oh, I, I wanted to become a teacher because this teacher was so great with me or this person really inspired me. That's yeah. that one trusted adult you had as a child. And it, it could be just one person. It could be many people. Yeah, but at least one. So I'm just thinking about different organizations that I've heard of, like Big Brothers, Big Sisters, um, you know, YMCA, Boys and Girls Club, like after school programs that can have these, you know, safe people, mentors. Right. Right. Coaches often, again, teachers, teachers are always, always pop up when, when people talk about how successful they were. They're like, it was because this teacher believed in me. That makes me so emotional. I don't even know why. Um, and I do think back to different teachers I've had and it, like they've made such a lasting impact on me, you know, 50 somewhat years later. Um, wow. And you know what? I feel like teachers are one of the most important jobs and we need more teachers. They, um, yeah. And, you know, I heard a lot after the pandemic that a lot of teachers didn't go back to teaching. And it's something that needs to really, um, we really need to invest in as a society. Yeah, and and see the value of our educators. Oh. Very important. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, relationships. So it sounds, so now when a relationship, when two children have a relationship, I'm assuming this is different because it's on a different level than a child and an older, you know, maybe a teen or adult for resiliency. Does it matter like, does it help um, if one child has a relationship with another child or does it need to be somebody older to help with their resiliency? Yeah, I, I think you're thinking about more of like peer-to-peer relationships versus an adult-to-child relationship. And and yes, I, I could say that it's important to have those peer-to-peer relationships. Again, those are big piece of, uh, of, of just social skills and having someone to be able to maybe rely on or talk to, which is a big key piece in that. But I think adults bring a level, like again, maturity, uh, different experiences and a different kind of feeling of safety and support. Mm. So all, I think all relationships are important as human beings. We need, we need each other. And I think that's why 
part of that that pandemic piece was so hard for everyone because everyone just felt so isolated from each other and we were just trying to kind of grasp at ways that we can connect with each other and that's why zoom had blown up and and different ways we can communicate is is how people stayed afloat thank god for zoom because i know for me you know working i was on a 24 7 I mean, that definitely, you know, um, being able to work on it, but also if there wasn't Zoom or FaceTime or, right, I mean, the uh, mental health challenges right now would have been, I mean, they already skyrocketed, but I think it would have just been way out of proportion. So that was a little helpful, <laughs> right? Um, wow, wow, wow. So what would you always like to ask people this? So if you were to talk to your little child yourself, what would you tell your five, seven-year-old little self? Hmm. I think I would tell myself that everything will be okay. You are going to grow up and do amazing things. Um, and just love yourself. <laughs> I love that. And it sounds so simple to children. I mean, is it that easy? And children are like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, is it really as simple as you made it sound? Because it sounds beautiful. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> right. I mean, this is where, like, I wish, you know, I, I, and let me tell you, a lot of my healing now, I'm talking to my five or seven-year-old hurt in her child. And I'm, you know, there for her where she didn't feel safe and, mm -hmm. you know, all this trauma on a cellular level. Um, yeah. So it's interesting now reparenting, which is why, like, if we could tell these children how amazing they are and, you know, a lot of times I find also that children aren't the judgmental ones. It's the parents or the adults and they kind of feed off of us. Yeah. You know, I've seen, it's just so heartbreaking. Um, like how we break that cycle and we're just so accepting of one another. Right. And and that makes me think of like challenging behaviors that, that parents mostly react or respond that way because they're feeling judged themselves. Right. Yeah. And I love that you said that. So there's, um, I took an amazing class from be, um, helping the behaviorally challenging child with Deborah Anna Farian. And I forgot the four words she used because I converted into my head what I remember. And I refer to it as PEMD, Parental Embarrassed Mortified Disorder. And I mean, with my middle son, God help me, we made it. Um, we survived and now he's thriving, but he would come out wearing this God awful outfit and his hair is a mess. I'm like, you can't go to school. You have to brush your hair. He's like, I already did. I'm like, you can't wear that outfit. And oh my gosh, our mornings could have been so much calmer and easier, you know, if it wasn't for me. I mean, I was definitely, uh, you know, fuel in that fire, right? <laughs> and, you know, it's like helping, you know, us parents um, putting on our oxygen mask on first. Yeah, it makes me think, choose your battles. Choose your battles wisely. <laughs> oh, that is such an amazing statement and so um, so let me ask you, what do you think the key is to setting our kids up for success? Like what's one thing that um, like we should keep on top of our minds as parents? Yeah, I, I think that again, we as, as the adults are the role models. Um, you might not know it, but that your child, especially your young ones are picking up on everything you're doing. So as much as you want uh, to have them be achieve and be successful and to scale back and be mindful of the things that you're doing, whether I am getting really upset and, and about little things, whether I need to take a breather, 
uh, know that those little eyes are, are watching you. So if that involves taking care of your own mental health, that is also key. Um, like I, like I said before, parenting is the most challenging job that you will ever experience the most rewarding you'll also experience. Um, but if there, if you're not feeling well and you need to take a moment, make sure to take care of your own health, take care of your mental health, take your breather, make your, take your pause. Um, because one, your children are watching those skills that you're doing um, and the coping skills that you're doing and you're modeling either the, the positive skills uh, with your child and no. Wow. So what I'm hearing you say is that saying, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> really to be mindful about that and no, do as I do, not as I say. And just really so we could um, reflect to them or show them what we, um, a way to behave. Wow. Gosh, <laughs> so many people, I don't know, most or all I know for me, I was so naive when I was having children. And, you know, I mean, of course, for me, I always say that one of the big, most important things is unconditional love, just love them unconditionally, which is definitely challenging also, but there's more. It's really not that, you know, it's much easier to drive a car, right? And yeah, everyone has to get a driver's license to drive a car, but for better or for worse, anybody can be a parent. Um, wow. Grace, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Um, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah, they can email me. Um, my email is raisa.ecmh at gmail.com. Okay, and we will put that um, information in the show, in the link for the show. Um, Raisa, as Piggy Bear and I always say to you and to all of our listeners and followers, you are amazing. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Let's Talk Wellness. This podcast has been brought to you by the Hugs for Life Healing Center, a division of the Extraordinary Lives Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. If you would like to listen to more conversations like this, we invite you to subscribe to our mailing list at www.elfempowers.org to be notified when our weekly episodes are published. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next conversation on Let's Talk Wellness.